Hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, real quick, if we haven't met before, my name's Cole. Um, I'm our student ministry pastor here on, on staff, so I get to work with 6th through ninth. Well, I said that wrong. 6th through 12th graders. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing here. 6th um, through 12th graders on Wednesday nights right here. Um, Perry says he loves y'all. Say, this is how we do this. Say, love you back. Love you, P. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case he watches. Um, seriously, shout out to Pastor P uh, for trusting the youth pastor to be on the stage. We'll see how it goes. Hey, I, I just had a big event happen in my life recently. My wife and I, we had a baby. Oh. I, hey, I did it. That's what I'm telling people. I did it. But he's great. His name's Bash. He's three weeks old today. So we love him. It's going well. I've had multiple people tell me, wow, you look really tired. I am. I am. But it's going very, very well. Everybody's healthy and doing wonderful. All right. Uh, let's jump into this. Why don't we? Shall we? I was a lifeguard in my life for six years about or so. Like the last two years of high school and then four years through college. It was kind of like my summer job. Uh, and how I, you know, made made money to pay for the school year that year. Um, and I worked at this place called Pine Lake Water Park, okay? Now, to give you some context to what Pine Lake Water Park was all about, I, I want to I say something first. Down here in the south, we have what we call rednecks, right? Some of you just, like, pointed at yours. Uh, we have rednecks. And now, I, I think of, you know, when I... When I came down here from Indiana, from the Midwest, I kind of noticed that there's this thing called the redneck spectrum. It's like some, some people that were, you know, born and raised here, you like, you kind of got an accent, and then other people, it's like your truck squatted, can't understand what you're saying, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, or anywhere in between. It could be, you know, it's not just either you have it or you don't. In the Midwest, we kind of have something similar, but up there we call it country. Everybody say country. Yeah. Now, the only difference, they're very similar, but the only difference between redneck and country, don't be mad at me for saying this, okay, is that country's always at least a little bit smarter than redneck. <laughs> you know, I know, some, I had people say amen, sorry. Hey, listen, I'm one of y'all now, so you can't get mad at me. Um, but I grew up in one of these smaller country towns in Indiana, you know, 8,000 people only, Amish everywhere. Some of you are like, what's an Amish? <laughs> Country, man. Um, cornfield, literally, the high school I went to was surrounded by four cornfields. So that's kind of how I grew up. So when I say I worked at a, a, a water park, this is what it looked like. It's not, it's not usually what people think of. It's like, this is like a big dirty pond with some slides, actually. Like... <laughs> There's snakes in here. You want to hear a, just a horrifying story that I didn't say last service? We, uh, if you can see right here, there's some like lily pads. But at the start of the year, every year, you know, because it gets cold and then, you know, we reopen in the summer. Uh, it was always me. I don't know why they chose me, but we would have to get in this freezing cold water and attach these things to the bottom of the lake. And I don't know why the bluegill in this pond were so vicious we would have to wear a t-shirt or they would bite our nipples. <laughs> I'm not joking. That we, I'd get out and they'd be like, Cole, your nipples are bleeding. I'd be like, I freaking know. I'm, I'm getting bited. Bit, bited, not bit. You know what I mean? 
That's how angry I was. But this is Pine Lake Water Park. So I remember I, I, I was 16 or 17 or so, and I went and I got my, uh, my certification, did the, the CPR, the swimming, all that stuff. Um, and then I, I come in for my very first day of work. And, you know, p- you know, in a new job, they start you out slow, right? So they, they put me at the, like, the easiest spot at, in the whole lake. They put me, it was like two feet deep, like people rarely went there. Like it was a pretty, it's a pretty easy place to lifeguard. This is where they start you out to just kind of get the hang of it. I'm going to pause and say, I promise what I'm about to tell you is 100% real. <laughs> so they walk, they walk me out there. I'm in the, the shallow end and I, I get up on my, my lifeguard stand and I had everything I needed, all my equipment, my whistle, all that stuff. And I'm not kidding, probably 20 minutes into my very first day ever of lifeguarding, I hear a whistle. Now, if you've ever been a lifeguard, there's different kinds of whistles. It's kind of like honking, like a quick, like, doot, doot. That's like just a reminder, like, hey, you know, don't do that. But like a loud, like long whistle, that means like something's happening, <laughs> okay? So I'm sitting there and I hear this, this real loud whistle and I look to my left and it was this girl I worked with and she's blowing her whistle at me pointing at me, and I'm thinking, I feel like you're supposed to blow them at the people swimming, right? Like, she's pointing at me, and for those of you who know me, I, you know, I probably was like, hey, I'm doing it. It's me. So then I see, I see she starts getting down from her lifeguard stand, and like, bl- still blowing her whistle, pointing at me. And so finally, I'm like, okay. So I like do a quick survey of my area, and I look to my right, and there's, I shouldn't giggle, but there's a woman not moving in the water. And guys, let me tell you this. I, I wish so bad that I could stand here and lie to you and tell you, you know, guys, I saved the woman's life. It was like slow motion, you know, like, what's that show called? Yeah, Baywatch, that's how it was. And I froze. I froze. I like I don't know. I just froze. And I don't know how long I was frozen, but eventually, you know, pretty quickly other lifeguards came and started jumping in and you know, we they had to give this woman CPR and I'm like, "Guys, this is my first day. What's happening?" You know, and uh, long story short, she goes off in the ambulance and and lives. <laughs> so it's a good ending to the story. But that was my very first day. <laughs> Fast forward 2 weeks. I they let me come back, thankfully. Um, and not only that, I don't know why they, I had been like kind of promoted at this point to like, I got to work a slide, this slide in fact. And so I'm sitting there and on, on our lifeguard stand, you have a button that there's a light at the top of the slide. So when you hit the button, it goes from red to green. So they know when to go and we have a mirror so that we can see what's going on back there. Okay. Make sense. And so I'm sitting there doing my lifeguarding thing and I, I'm looking back and this, this little, little girl, like I'm talking real, way too young. I probably shouldn't have even let her go down to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, here we go. Hit the button. I wasn't a very good lifeguard. <laughs> I'm serious. People would be like, hey, can we go down 12 at a time on the slide? I'd be like, sure. Don't tell them I told you yes. Um, and I'm like, okay, here we go. I hit the button. She goes down the slide. She's coming down. And, you know, I can see her. I'm sitting right next to it. So I see her. She's coming out, gets, drops in the water, instantly down. She cannot swim. And so for real, this time it was slow motion. I took my shirt off and I threw my whistle. And, you know, everybody was watching and not really. But 
jumped in, saved the girl, and to this day, everybody from my hometown still refers to me as the one that saved the girl. Not really. But I tell you those two stories. You know, I'm walking around, I'm like, how many people y'all saved today? And they're like, none. I'm like, huh. Um, No, I tell you those two stories because between the two of those, there's virtually like nothing different. Two times I had been, I had been fully equipped to do my job. I had everything that I needed to do my job. I had been given the authority to do my job. And the first time I was frozen with fear. And the second time I had the, the courage to act. The only difference between the two situations was fear. Now let me ask you this. Did you know that you have a job? You have a job. And when I say that, what I mean is that you, every person in this room, was created by God on purpose and put here on this planet for a purpose. On purpose for a purpose. So that means every person in here right now has been given some sort of task by God to do. You you have a job. And one of the things that I've learned from just, well, one life, two, following Jesus and, you know, my study of scripture and doing ministry, all that, is that oftentimes this, the thing that I see get in the way of people and them doing what it is God wants them to do is this one word called fear. Fear. This is my opinion. So... This is not like I didn't get this out of a verse or anything. It's just my opinion from what I've seen. I, I am kind of in a place right now in my life where I think fear is one of, if not the most, accepted sin in the church today. Did you know 365 different times throughout the scripture, God, he, not just, he doesn't ask us to not be afraid. He commands it. He says, do not fear. And what I see right now in ministry and in the, the church, the big C church, is fear cripple, completely crippling a bunch of people that God has big plans for. Fear stops people from doing their job. And what's interesting to me as well is throughout the scripture, especially like in Joshua chapter one, if you wanna check me on this, uh, God will say, do not fear, and he'll accompany that command with this phrase, have courage. Do not fear, have courage. Have courage, do not fear. So uh, courage is, would be the antithesis of fear. But I think what happens a lot of times is we kind of subconsciously believe that, that a, a courageous person is a person that, that just doesn't have fear. And that's not the truth. In fact, I wrote down what I think courage is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of yes. It's, it's when God asks me to do something, I might be terrified. I might be shaking, I'm so scared, but I'm still gonna be obedient. I'm still gonna say yes to him. If God asks me to give something up, it might be terrifying. I'm, I'm still gonna say yes to him. If God asks me to pursue a relationship, I might be scared, but I have to say yes. If God asks me to forgive somebody, that might be terrifying for me, but courage says, Oh, I'm scared, but I'm still going to say yes because God asked it of me and God is good. Does that make sense? Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of yes. That's pretty good, y'all. I wrote that. 
I probably stole it. <laughs> I want to talk. I want to chat for a little bit this morning about a story in the Bible. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's called David and Goliath. Um, probably many of you have heard this story before, but I want to focus in on a few things that happen in a part in the story that we don't normally focus on. The part leading up to David actually fighting Goliath. David finds himself. Uh, he finds himself up against three different kind of separate fears before he actually gets to the point of fi- fighting the giant. He actually has to overcome a few things before he kills the giant. Are you ready? Okay, I want to give a little bit of a, just some, some backstory here. Um, David was one brother of eight. He had seven brothers, um, and David was the shepherd of the family. David was the youngest. A lot of people think Around this time, he was around 12 to 15 years old, which is young. And so David's task in his family was he shepherded the sheep. He guarded the sheep. And so one day, David's dad, Jesse, comes to him, and he says, hey, your brothers, your three oldest brothers, they're, they're out fighting in a war against the Philistines. I want to give, uh, give you some supplies, and I want you to take them to your brothers. Okay? So David packs up his stuff, and he heads out. And this is where we're going to pick up with the story. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 20. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the, all together now on three, one, two, three, baggage. And ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brother. This is fascinating to me, all right? The very first thing, David is is, is in preparation. He has this calling on his life to go and kill a giant. And the very first thing David does before he even walks into the battlefield is he takes off his baggage, his weight, and he leaves it with the baggage keeper. Baggage. I want to talk about baggage for a second. Baggage is the weight that we carry from our past. Baggage is the weight that we we carry from our past. And let me just be clear here for a second. When I say past, I'm not only talking about like 5, 10, 15 years ago. I'm talking for a lot of people last night, this morning. It's the weight that we carry from what we did. And the fear that comes along with this territory when we're talking about the, the, the job that God has for you is this. It's the fear of my past. It's the fear that what I did back then disqualifies me from doing something great now. And this is, I've seen this very thing paralyze so many people in the church. I, I've had so many conversations with people like, man, I, I get that what you say from the stage, like, you know, your past doesn't equal your future, but like, no, I did something real bad. Okay, and I would frankly and lovingly and gently say to that person, you missed it. Because when I, when I read this book, this is my iPad, but pretend I'm pointing to a Bible. When I read that book, all I can find in the book is God using the worst people over and over and over and over to do the biggest things. And listen, we still, the things that they did are so big, we still talk about them 4,000, 3,000, 2,000 years later. 
And these are the worst, it's so crazy to me. Like you open to the first page, Adam and Eve are already screwing it up. Then Noah gets drunk and naked. Then Abraham pimps out his wife. You know, we've been through this. David, it's like David stole a dude's wife, got her pregnant, killed the guy so that he could marry her. That's really, really bad, by the way. (laughs) Like really bad. (laughs) I could go on and on and on. And these are the people that we list as heroes of faith. And we so limit ourselves to the things that we are able to do. When, guys, God just wants, he only works with messed up people. And so this fear we have of like, man, what if I'm not good enough? Because of who I used to be, I can't be the person God wants me to be. Bull crap. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it. It's so true. We talk about it all the time, but I really, I want to hammer this in. I need this too. It's like, man, just because of what I've done, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have any implication on who I can be in the future or who God wants me to be. Man, I had a conversation recently. Man, I'm going to say a lot of things I didn't plan on saying. I'm already doing that. I had a conversation re- recently with somebody on our staff, actually, and, and she was like, man, I just, I can't believe, like, where I'm, how far I've come, like I would have never guessed that I would be working in a church, and which is really cool. But I, I'll never, for, and I don't even know where this came from, so I think it, I think it was God. <laughs> I said, I said, what if that, th- and that's really cool, but what if that's only one-tenth of what he has planned for you? Like you, you take that as like, I've arrived. What if that's just the beginning? Your past doesn't just define your future. I want to just throw in something interesting about this as well. Seven chapters earlier, 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul, who had been, who is the king currently within, in this story, it, the Bible tells us that Saul got scared and hid in his baggage. And because Saul hid in his baggage, eventually he lost the anointing to be king. David leaves his baggage with the baggage keeper, picks up the anointing to kill a giant, and then in the future become the, the, the next king of Israel. It's really good. (laughs) Just had to shake that out there. Okay. Let's move on. As he was talking with them, that's David, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. It's always about the girl. Always about the girl. Now listen to this. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I told this to the first service. I will fight a giant right here, right now on this stage for for that. At least for the chance. I'm taking it. Sorry. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance to Israel? Who, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. 
Now, this is interesting to me because oftentimes, and many of you are going to understand when, when I say this, what happens when you go to do something that God has asked you to do? You're like, the Lord's asked me to do this. He's given me a job. He's given me a purpose. I'm going to pursue it. What happens a lot of times is people will oppose you. And not only people, a lot of times it's the people closest to you, which is tough. I've seen, I've seen and, and this, as I've been thinking about this particular point this last week, you know, I, I was thinking, like, people don't, in our culture in America, people don't generally, like, like you, you, you decide you want to follow Jesus. People aren't going to, like, throw stones at you and call you, like, some Jesus freak. You know, like, that's not necessarily, like, the persecution we face here. But what it, what it does a lot of times look like is these very subtle little, like, like, really? You don't have to care that much. Like, that seems a little dramatic. Like, I'll have high schoolers that'll be like, you know, they decide they want to follow Jesus, and, you know, they'll tell your friends, like, I'm not going to go to the party. And, you know, they're like, I mean, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter, does it? Like, you could still be a Christian and, and go party with us. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, a lot of times it's really subtle opposition, a lot of times from people closest to you. That will, that will try to convince you that God is not actually asking you to do what you believe God is asking you to do. And the fear that surrounds that is fear of them. Fear of what they think. Fear of what that person will think. If I, if I go and do this thing God's asking me to do, what are people going to say? What are they going to think? And I, I just, I think about this part of this story for a second. If David, if David were to, to, to answer his brother and be like, huh, you know, you're right. You're right. That was crazy. I shouldn't have even. I shouldn't have even asked about fighting the giant. You know, let's probably somebody else will do it. You know, I'll just here's your cheese from dad. I'll get out of here. We don't have the story. We don't have the felt board David and Goliath growing up. You know what I mean? If David gives into that fear of what people think about him, that rejection thing, we don't have this story. And not only that, I wonder if David doesn't go and do this, does he eventually become the greatest king of Israel ever? I don't know. But I think part of this, part of courage is letting go of what uh, we're afraid of other people thinking. Is saying, listen, I love you. I, I am not going to care. I have to not care if you think what I'm doing stupid because God asked me to do it. And so courage tells me I'm going to say yes. That's good. You want to go to number three? Well, not yet. we got to read the Bible first. <laughs> then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Whew, big deal. This is so funny to me. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Can you imagine a 15-year-old kid? You're the king. 15-year-old kid comes up to you. You have a whole army, thousands of people, all scared of this one dude, and the 15-year-old kid says, hey, I'm in. You're like, okay, bro. Like, it's a cool story, right? Like, what? Listen to, listen to his response. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. You don't understand. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. 
I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Whew. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. This is a very, I love, this is one of my favorite little parts of the Bible, this discourse. Because on the surface, you're like, why in the world? <laughs> There's no world in which, let's say you're the king or queen of a country, and you let, you let a 12 to 15 year old, year old boy go out there and, and, and define what's about to happen to your entire nation. There's no world, right? That's crazy. But once I start thinking about this, what David says here is, is really, really powerful. Essentially, he goes to Saul and he says, hey, I want to fight this guy. Saul says, uh-uh. He says, you don't get it. When I've been tending to my sheep, no one was watching. No one cared. No one saw. But I've been killing giants all along. And now, because I've been practiced up when no one was watching and no one cares, when I was in private, I'm about to go do it in public when everyone's watching and everyone cares. In other words, what you do in private matters. Tense. Listen, listen I'm, I'm preaching to me too. This is something everybody has to hear. Listen, remember, we all have some sort of job, some next step from God. And how we prepare ourselves in our private life determines how successful we'll be at that job God has given us. What you do in private matters. David, I'm convinced, the only reason he was able to do this was because he practiced in private when no one was watching and no one cared so that he could go out when everybody was watching and everybody cared and have a public victory. Every, listen, everybody wants a public victory. Everybody wants a pat on the back. Everybody wants a good job. Not everybody wants to put in the hard, step-by-step -step work. You want to know something? This just came to me. I, we sit, you know, we do church here every Sunday. We sit in our staff meetings on Mondays, and we're always like, oh, my gosh, what is going on in this church? It's so good. You know? It's good, right? <laughs> It's crazy. We're out, like, we're literally outgrowing this building that we moved into two years ago, y'all. It's kind of stressful, really awesome. We'll talk about that another time. But you want to know part of the reason I think that's the case? Is because our leader, this man, <laughs> he gets up every day at like 4.30 and reads his Bible for what seems like 17 hours and prays for us. He prays for, he says he prays for me by name and our church and like this man is actually practicing in private the person he portrays to be himself on this stage. And I think for us, we get to actually reap the blessing of that. Everybody wants a, a public victory. I don't, what, what separates the boys from the men here is the people that also want to do the hard work in private as well. Courage. I want to chat with you about, there's this thing in psychology Oh, I forgot to put the fear up. <laughs> fear of detection. The fear that comes with private life stuff has to do with, I'm afraid they're going to find out. It's that, it's that I buried that 1% down deep, and I do not want to dig it up. You know what I'm talking about. I've been here a thousand times. 
there's that, it's that 1%. And I, I've always said this, to be 99% known is to be unknown. It's to be unknown. To take 1% of your life and bury it and hide it, that's, that is to be unknown. And it's that 1% that often gets in the way of us being able to do the things God wants us to do, truly. It's got to come out into the light. So I do. I want to talk to you about psychology for a second. There's this thing in psychology called uh, the bystander effect. So it's very interesting to me. What happened back in, I think it was 1964, there was this woman named Kitty Genovese. Um, And she was, uh, long story short, she was walking home from her apartment one evening, was coming home from work, and was stabbed, raped, and killed in a back alley in New York City. Now, that's tragic, um, but crime happens every day. But this, this particular crime caught scientists' attention, and what they found out was that in the trial afterwards, they had kind of come to this conclusion that there were up to 38 other people that witnessed this crime at some point and did nothing about it. And thus was born the bystander effect. The bystander effect essentially says that in a crowd, when there's a problem, people tend to think somebody else will take care of the problem. In a crowd, when there's a problem, people tend to think somebody else will take care of the problem. Can I just say this to you? You are the one for the problem. You're the one. I oftentimes, just being in ministry, will have people that will come up and say things like, Hey, when are you going to start a fill in the blank underwater basket weaving ministry? <laughs> you know, it, seriously, it could be it could be anything. And my response is always like, what? Why, why are you coming to me? Like, clearly, you're the one that sees the problem, the homelessness problem, the the problem with poverty, the problem. You know, fill in the blank. You're the one that has a heart for it. God's laid that on your heart. It's not that I don't care. It's just if it's laid on your heart you're the one for the problem. That's your ministry. And I think there's oftentimes this separation of like, we, we don't understand that there's so much more to following Jesus than just, than just showing up on Sundays and, you know, just, just serving. There's so much more. People, people look at like pastors like Perry and think that he's, and he is, he's our, he's our, our leader and our authority, but you know, you know the same Holy Spirit lives in him that does you and me too? The same one. I told this story last, last service. I didn't plan on it, but the first time I ever kind of really realized that was I was in college and I was interning at this church and one of my mentors was, was telling me we had gotten a call from a woman. Now, I don't mean to scare you with this story. It's going to end really good. We got a call from this woman that was like, hey, uh, I have some weird stuff happening at my house and I would like if a pastor came and checked it out. It was a woman from our church. So he went over there and I remember him telling me the story. He said, you know, there, there was some weird stuff going on in this house, some demonic stuff. And I'll never forget when he told me, because the, the woman was like, well, will you cast it out? And he said, well, why don't you cast it out? Like, this is your house claim authority over your house. You're, we are just, God has given us all authority and all power. That means we all have it. You know, we have, we have the authority and the power to take control of these scenarios in life. And, 
and, and be the one that God uses to, to be the solution, right? And so I would just ask you, what's, what is that thing for you right now in your life? What is it? What's God asking you to do? What's your job? Maybe it, maybe it is to forgive your dad. Well, that's scary. Yeah. Would you have courage to do it? Maybe, on a, hey, maybe it's, maybe it's time to start tithing. Well, that's a big chunk of money. I know. It, it's terrifying. I just told somebody this, this last week, following, G, I think sometimes people wait on this like feeling, like, oh, I can't wait to give 10% of my, my money to God. You want to know what it is for me? Dang it, Jesus. This sucks. I could, it'd be awesome to have that money, but you asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm not sitting there smiling while I'm writing that check. <laughs> you know, following Jesus is so much more about a choice I make to say yes to him than a feeling I'm waiting on. Wow, that was good. Does that make sense? So my, again, what's, what's your thing today? Maybe, maybe it's, I need to, I'm a, I'm a man that needs just to finally go to counseling with my wife. I've been telling her no, and I wouldn't admit this, but I'm secretly kind of nervous to be vulnerable. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, I need to, to tell somebody that I have an addiction. Or maybe God is asking you, hey, you need time to go to rehab. Like, talk about scary, but listen to me. Listen to me. Every single time God has asked me to do something terrifying in my life, that's when, the big, that's when I receive the biggest blessings when I say yes. I wouldn't, this right here, I literally wouldn't be here if I was still hiding in my shame from my sin. Uh, I hid. And I knew, G I knew God wanted me to come clean about it. And I knew it probably wouldn't end well for me. But I, I am at the greatest church, in, in my mind, in the world that I could ever be at now. And it has nothing to do with me. I just said, yes, he did it all. So what's that thing for you? What's God asking you to do? What's your job? And my question is, would you, would you today say, screw fear. I'm, ch I'm choosing courage. You know, just really practically... And then I'll pray, promise. <laughs> we, have, we have Easter services coming up in two weeks. And this would be a very easy first step is for you to, to maybe identify somebody you know. And I know you know them that doesn't know Jesus that needs to be here in two weeks to hear that Jesus is alive. I know you know him. But I'm nervous. What if they say no? I don't tie them up and throw them in your car and just get them here. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Perry always says lie to them. <laughs> Tell them, hey, let's go party. Hey, it's not a lie. <laughs> another, another thing, we, by God's grace and mercy, you know, one of our sayings is it's by his mercy that we have a ministry. By God's mercy, our student ministry is growing on Wednesday nights, and we're finally to the point where we're starting to need some more people. If you want to plug in and serve there, man, that'd be awesome. I don't know. Whatever, whatever Jesus is asking you to do, if you're scared, I get it, but I would just say yes. I would just say yes. You got a job. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this morning, this church. God, I just, I just pray that for those people in here that, that hear your voice, that maybe feel their heart thumping a little bit, that they need to, there's something they need to do. God, that you would provide them with the courage and the peace to, to say yes to you. Lord, I pray that 
your spirit would be with us in those moments that your mercy and grace would, would follow us wherever we go. And Lord, I pray that for those people that are, that are here today ready to say yes to you, Jesus, I pray that you would bless them and you would keep them tremendously. Lord, we're about to sing this amazing song, and I love the part where it says, fear, fear bow, fear bow. And Lord, we, in, the, in your name of Jesus today, just we command that fear would bow to the name of Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. Amen. Jesus, you really do change everything. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all you do in this place, God. With, head bowed, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just wonder if for some of you in the room today, that job that God has for you is to make the decision to maybe accept him into your life for the very first time. And if that's you in here today, I would just ask that, I'm going to say a prayer, and that you'd repeat after me. And what's cool about Second Chance is nobody prays alone, so everybody's going to pray this prayer out loud with you and for you. So here we go, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus, I love you. Come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would use me and guide me and lead me for the rest of my life. I love you in Jesus' name. Hey, if you're here with head, heads bowed and eyes closed and you just prayed that prayer for the very first time in your life, you accepted the call of God on your life to, to, to make him Lord of your life, would you just really quick for me, put your hand up in the air right now. Throw your hand up in the air so we can pray for you, awesome. Awesome. Right now, anybody, put them up high. Awesome. Lord, thank you for hands raised. God, we just ask that you would bless these people today that have chosen to follow you for the first time. God, I pray favor and blessing over their lives forever. Favor and blessing. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for Second Chance Church. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, are you glad you came? Come on. We'll see you next week.